Welcome one and all to episode 11 of the Eaton Asphalt Podcast. I am your host, Marco, with my co-host, Ian Baquez. Uh, really excited for this week. Uh, we have obviously had the week off and just have been stirring to uh, to see this Baku race come up. So a little into this episode that we have coming up. We have recent headlines. We have a fun little history story by our friend Baquez. Then we're going to go into the Baku history and some weather updates for the race coming up this weekend, some race predictions, and last but not least, a surprising interview coming up. So really excited to show this one off. Ian, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm super excited for this race. We got a, an awesome track. I think that's given a lot of cool moments, a lot of memeable moments with, uh, you know, Leclerc going into the wall and his famous I am stupid, I am stupid comment. So, um, yeah, man, I, I think this is one of the cooler tracks, especially after Monaco where we don't get a lot of overtaking. After Barcelona where it's kind of the same thing, it's going to be nice to see some, uh, some good action in these races. All right, well, yeah, let's get into it. So starting off uh, uh, the other day, our... Good friend Valtteri Bottas was stuck in Finland until uh, yesterday, so he missed actually a lot of the driver interviews that we typically see every week. And so he was stuck at the airport for over five and a half hours, having to find another plane. I mean, honestly, it's just like Mercedes, Mercedes isn't even hiding their hate for Valtteri anymore. They've been fucking him on the track. Now they're just blatantly fucking him off the track. You've never seen Lewis Hamilton ever have any flight problems, maybe because he owns his own plane, regardless. You never see this with any of the other drivers, just like the lug nut. You know, it's just these one-off crazy things that you never see any other drivers dealing with. I just have a question about, uh, like, his fly schedule. Like, you said it. Like, does he not have a plane? Does Mercedes not have a plane? And, it, like, are they flying commercial? Or, how, like, how does this happen to where you, like, don't have a plane or, like, kind of a backup scenario and you have to take a presser literally, like, on Zoom? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I just feel like every single week is a new story with Valtteri and Mercedes and this little clash between between the constructor and the driver. <laughs> so uh, I'm on Valtteri's side. I feel feel sorry for the guy that, you know, is making $8 million a year. It's unfortunate. And, you know, we hope to see him get a little crack um, at, you know, a little bit more luck come, going his way. Yeah, uh, staying on Bottas here, he was uh, reportedly surprised by Mercedes' suggestion, uh, really Toto's suggestion over the Monaco pit stop. Said after he looked at the tape, there's only a few centimeters off, which is per typically perfectly normal. I think we even said that when we were taught, when we like kind of looked at the footage and we're like, okay, he's like a little bit at an angle here, but not, I mean, how does that really affect anything? Um, he also revealed that he had uh, raised worries about potential weaknesses in Mercedes pit stop procedures prior to the Monaco Grand Prix. So Toto, yeah, was probably like, I'll give you, uh, if you want to complain, then I'll give you something to complain about and take you from probably a, a podium out to no points. So just keep ruining, uh, ruining Bottas' races. Very soon we're going to have to have Rob come back on again and, uh, and give us kind of the down low on why Mercedes hates Valtteri. Yeah, tough couple of weeks for our boy over there. Moving on, something very exciting to talk about. I know the last couple of weeks we had Monaco and the Indy 500 go for the first time in a while that actually were not happening on the same weekend. Um, this year, obviously, was not on the same weekend. And I think this was something that has been in conversations over the past couple of years. But seeing this, you know, separation, F1 is open to avoiding Indy Clash so its own drivers can compete in the Indy 500 inject this into my fucking veins i mean if we could just see 
back in the U.S., half of the grid on the F1 grid coming in and racing any 500, I could not ask for something more more exciting than that. Absolutely. Like with imagine having, you know, Verstappen and Hamilton seeing who's a better Indy card racer. You know what I mean? Like if they're just going around like the Indy five, the, the motor speedway, um, then maybe it would put a different spin on like, you know, who's better right now. Um, but yeah, I agree in, into the veins, uh, with a smile on my face. If we get to see some, uh, some F1 boys hop over, all right, next up, uh, F1, the FIA attempts to head off Baku qualifying Tom Foolery with a warning ahead of time. Essentially, they're just trying to get out ahead of people either on a cool-down lap or on an out-lap, getting in the way and ruining people's qualifying. This has kind of always been part of the sport, I think, um, but especially with uh, someone who shall not be named, not really respecting blue flags, not knowing how to get out of the way, just not, you know, people, I, I think, kind of like, not directly or blatantly, um, but very subtly ruining people's qual you know, driver's qualifying times. You, you're going to start getting punished with that. So, yeah, essentially, I mean, uh, you can also read this headline, uh, Mazepin to have a punishment during qualifying. As if he's not getting punished enough. So uh, just another, <laughs> another kick him while he's down kind of thing. Um, and then as we said last week and talked about kind of the flexi wings being a very big topic of interest coming up, uh, please be on the lookout for that uh, during and after the race. So as we had said, Red Bull and Alfa Romeo are actually using these flexi wings. Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin are very against them and want them gone. There's been, you know, some talks and some vague talks about when they needed to be removed and these teams wanting them to get removed. And I was looking into this and just seeing kind of the cost of what it would take to actually change out change out these flexi wings for these teams. And it looks like it'd be about half a million pounds. And given the actual budget this year and them tightening the budget, I think this would be, you know, obviously very costly for these teams with, uh, with something so small, you would think kind of like the flexi wings and, you know, an easy change back to something else. But it really goes to show how expensive these cars are and, and each of these parts are. Yeah, nuts that just, like, switching something out is going to cost half a milli, but good for them. Uh, and then finally, probably the saddest news that we have so far uh, in the season, there's not going to be a Singapore Grand Prix anymore. So taking it away because of COVID restrictions, this just sucks because, I like, we're in June and the race is in October. I get that they're probably allowing more time just in case, you know, just, just more time to find out where that new race is going to be. But man, does that suck. It's like a night race. It's a cool, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's got Tokyo Drift vibes to it. Absolutely. Just be, because like, you know, kind of the, the cool night race, just overall like energy, I feel like is, is awesome. It's where they, where they sweat the most. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I've been hosting, it's been host to some awesome, awesome races and awesome highlights that I've seen. So yeah, it's a big bummer. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite races. I am curious to see what F1 does with potentially replacing that weekend with another track. So hopefully they can replace it with something pretty fun and interesting, but only time will tell. And that does it for our recent headlines. Uh, moving on, we do have Ian's history story. But before we get to that, this part of the Eaton Asphalt podcast is brought to you by Expedia.com. As most people know, Expedia helps you plan ahead with all your travel needs, whether it be flights, hotels, rental cars. 
People all over the world use Expedia to plan ahead and book their vacations, but what most people don't know is when your vacation or business trip runs amok, Expedia is there to save the day. And we've seen so many people go to the airport for a business trip and your company plane decides to give you the middle finger and not pick you up, maybe waiting around for five and a half, six hours. And some people may wonder, why did this company do this to this one poor businessman? He showed up on time, he tries his best at work, Is it because he's clearly the number two worker and it is treated like a number two worker? To make things even worse, the company will laugh and say, this is nonsense, yet you still get forced to finish work after your coworker and is paid significantly less than him too. When things go wrong that's out of your control, you still get blamed. And look, now you're out of the business day and they're still making you sit in the airport for over six hours before you're kind enough to pick you up. Instead, say, fuck you, random business. I don't need to wait around for you. Use Expedia, and they'll find me a cheap flight ASAP and will actually respect you for once. Expedia, we're not complete assholes like your business. You're number one to us. Wonderful partnership that we look forward to continuing. Moving on. This past weekend, we didn't have any race um, in F1, but we did have the Indianapolis 500. So I figured it would be fitting to talk about one of the most infamous uh, infamous American races that happened that just happens to be in Formula One. So, this is the story of the United States Grand Prix in 2005. The reason that this is fitting for the current time is because the race took place in Indianapolis, um, just like the Indy 500 did. This was the only win of the year in 2005 for a young Michael Schumacher. Um, Rubens Barrichello was in second place, who was Ferrari's, uh, who's Michael's Ferrari teammate. And then the third finish of the year on the podium was Tiago Montero. Um, you know, it was third place finish with the best of his career. He was on Jordan team, which had like a short stint. So uh, the, the kind of how we got to this weird podium is is the story here. So. Story takes place because of three main things: uh, the track layout in Indianapolis, the track surface, and the bullshit of the tire wars. Let's talk about the track. Indianapolis 500 usually an oval. Um, the owner of the 500 decided to run it through the infield and have a bunch of twists and turns. So instead of just like four corners of the oval, they had 13 turns. Very very speed friendly. Long like long straights. You know, big sweeping corners. But some of these corners, uh, especially the the last corner, turn 13, it's not like a lot of what F1 sees as far as corners go because it's banked, which means it's kind of like at an angle, right? Not perfectly perpendicular to the ground, which F1 isn't always like, you know, perfectly perpendicular. But for the most part, you know, you're not at like a 10 degree angle, which throws off aerodynamics, right? Package of the car has to be a little bit different. Wear of the tires, like of the left tire is worse. But anyway... The layout of the track was kind of how we got started here because of this one specific corner. So of the four corners that they took out, there was one that they left basically the whole route for, which is like the big sweeping 13th corner. So that's where the where the uh, like kind of first pillar of the problem starts. The second problem, which is the track surface. Uh, for those of you who don't know, winters in Indianapolis are pretty brutal. Um, it's where I grew up. Things freeze and unfreeze all the time, which causes cracks and wear on the tarmac which caused the need for restoration or repaving of the circuit itself. So when they repaved it, they tried something new, which was called diamond grinding. Just like it sounds, you take the hardest stone in the world, a diamond, and you just grind it into the track. It makes these tiny, it's kind of like cornrows, but just like millimeter thick divots into the track. The good of that is that they make the track ridiculously smooth, right? And there's like very little bumps, which is nice when you're going 200 plus miles an hour makes it grippier and it helps with water drainage if there's any rain the bad 
is that when you cut asphalt with diamonds, the ridges can get pretty sharp. So it was essentially like having millions of little teeth, uh, which wear down tires quicker. This was initially a concern, except they ran the Indy 500 uh, a month before the Grand Prix. Wasn't an issue. The tires were a little bit harder, but they thought, oh, okay, you know, this new style of, of paving the track isn't going to really affect uh, when F1 comes to town. Definitely did. But the main kind of component, the catalyst of all of the drama was uh, the tire war. So between Bridgestone and Michelin, those were the two tires at the time. Right now in modern F1, we have just Pirelli as our tire. But Bridgestone and Michelin were the two kind of battle, or, you know, there was constructors and the constructors would pick tires at the beginning of the season. So both of them were kind of fighting back and forth to see who could come up with the better compounds, give their teams the best chance of success. Three teams were with Bridgestone and seven teams were with Michelin. The problem was on the FP1, there were some really bad crashes for the Michelin tires. So the ones, the tires that uh, seven of the teams had. Ralph Schumacher ended up breaking his back because of how hard he slammed into the wall. Um, people were losing grip all, you know, just because the tires were getting worn down so easily. And so even on practice, there was some like shockingly bad accidents that it was kind of tough to turn a blind eye to. The drama here is that Bridgestone owns Firestone, who is the sole IndyCar tire provider. Um, so the, at the track, they had the insight that, Hey, they're doing this new thing called diamond paving or diamond grinding rather. Um, where it's going to make it such that you have to have a really hard compound tire. So you, you know, they essentially had some insight. Um, and Michelin, who was the more popular tire, was totally blind. Like they just had no idea when they got there on Friday, they realized that it was all kind of going to shit. But they were thousands of miles away from home. They couldn't just send, you know, harder compound tires out. They were just in a, in a really bad spot. Michelin goes to FIA saying, hey, we didn't know this information that this is going to be so like such a tire destroyer of a track. You're essentially asking for a disaster. FIA says, actually, you guys should just go slower. So go like 20 to 30 miles an hour slower on that turn 13, um, which is like such a bad idea because if even 20 to 30 miles an hour slower, like it's harder to predict where the car is going to be on an overtake. Someone could have easily, you know, lost track or made contact. And of course, when you're going 200 plus miles an hour, that's a recipe for death at the time. This argument between Michelin and the FIA goes literally until race day morning. So race lights out is at 2 p.m. And at 11 a.m., they're still in a room trying to negotiate how they're going to move forward. Teams are threatening walkouts. It's just madness until Michelin finally puts up a proposal that says, hey, let's put another chicane smack in the middle of that turn 13 which would make the corner slower, right? Less wear on the tires. It seemed like a pretty rational uh, like next step just because of all the car. I mean, essentially like lives getting risked because these cars were smacking into the wall. Totally rejected by the FIA. The FIA is big brother. They wanted to hold that, you know, basically they were saying, hey, nope, we already did our uh, track inspection. If you're not prepared, you're not prepared. Michelin says, hey, we have the power because of their negotiated contract that we could potentially just put a chicane out there and then you could fine us, but at least this race wouldn't be a disaster. And the FIA basically says, okay, if you do that, we are going to walk away like from this race. Like We're going to completely withdraw. That means no stewards, no race control. Um, you know, nobody to even wave like the green and checkered flag. This keep in mind, this is like an hour and a half to two hours before the actual lights out like race goes. So um, I was thinking about this. It's essentially like an NBA team having problems with the NBA. 
and the NBA saying, we're going to pull your refs out, and the team saying, well, we're just going to play a game where everyone calls their own foul. Surprisingly, when the FIA says, hey, we're just going to walk away, um, the the team said, screw it. We'll find our own race directors, our own stewards. So like two hours before, they have to go on this massive hiring spree. Like they're, they're, this is what they're threatening. Like the negotiations are heating up because it's getting down to like an hour before race time. When the idea that a game or, you know, a game could be played without refs to make the uh, the metaphor or a race could be raced without the FIA, um, the FIA starts to get very hostile, kicks everybody out of the room and says, you know what, if you have Michelin tires, blame your tire provider. You didn't come with the right equipment for the race. If you have Michelin tires, you cannot race in this U.S. Grand Prix. This decision is literally made less than an hour before the race. It's all just political bullshit, right? Um, but it, it makes sense on the side of the like of the FIA because if that were to be the case where teams could just kind of race without the FIA, the FIA is rendered just totally useless. So they kind of had to, to draw the line in the sand saying, look, you, you know, we're not going to let you just race without us. The final conclusion was that everybody with Michelin tires was not allowed to race. So keep in mind, there's no social media at this point. There's no way for them to really get that information out. So when a decision is made that close to lights out, there's 110,000 people in the stands that are waiting to see their favorite drivers. And after a parade lap, like kind of like a formation lap, 14 of the 20 drivers, the 14 that had Michelin tires, ended up going to the pit lane. Six that had Bridgestone tires ended up lining up on the grid in where they in the spots that they qualified. And they raced a race with six different drivers out. So people are furious. They're booing. They're confused, throwing beer cans, saying, hey, like, you know, we want to see uh, a Kimi Raikkonen race. We want to see, uh, you know, a Fernando Alonso race. And just like kind of confused. Nothing makes sense right now. It's just absolute mayhem. People are so mad that they're starting to storm the ticket boxes to get their money back, like forcefully. Police have to be drawn out because there's about 300 confused, angry, fuming fans for every one police officer and it's just like legitimate chaos race goes on it's an absolute absolute snooze fest of a race you know the two ferraris like i mentioned ended up on the podium there was like no celebration at all like they i think they popped the champagne but they didn't even spray it like there was just such a farce and they were embarrassed to be on the podium so can't imagine like the stress of just that sunday morning to afternoon of like trying to figure out how you're going to pull this off and then it's just like basically duct taping together this just shit show of a race nobody wanted to see it nobody wanted to celebrate it and after that michelin doesn't renew their contract with f1 fans are so pissed that they lost interest in going to future races so 2006 and 2007 united states grand prix were at the uh, indianapolis motor speedway but so few people went because it's just like look how do we know that we're actually going to see racing you know for the for the price of these tickets so I don't know. I just thought the story was so interesting and it was so pivotal for like F1's relationship with the states. Just kind of put a bad taste in the mouth of Americans uh, when they think about F1 who, you know, they have their American race fans have their own product in America, right? NASCAR and IndyCar can kind of like quench that thirst. Um, so why do you need this European bullshit that comes here to only, you know, not have half of their drivers or more race on the track that, you know, that, that we're looking forward to seeing? So yeah, overall just interesting because of uh, that relationship being so strained. They had to wait five years to come back to um, the, the States to race in Austin. 
where they currently race at the Circuit of the Americas. But yeah, just a, a shit show of a day, a shit show of a race, and and uh, kind of a, a big speed bump between uh, the relationship between F1 and the U.S. Yeah, that's that's a wild story. I, I, I'm two things. I'm curious when the last time a race has only had six drivers. It should have. It probably was like the first year of Formula One where they're like kind of pushing their cars out there and everything. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I just can't imagine like something so pivotal uh, causing 80, 90 percent of the grid to, to not be able to race. And the other thing is if the F1 was like, yeah, we're out, you can find your own directors, your own stewards. How funny that would have been an hour and a half them just running around Indianapolis being like, do you know? Do you know what we're talking about with F one? Like, how are they picking these people? It's not like the like Indy is like a hub of F one like stewards and directors. Like, I that would have been absolutely abysmal trying to pick up random stranger off the street just being like, you want a free race? All right, stand in this corner. Yeah, exactly. Hey, if a car crashes, you go out and you you clean it up and like, hey, wave, do you know what this flag, flag means? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know what this flag means? All right, the yellow ones is slow down. The red ones is something horrible happened. So just the FIA taking their ball and going home is an all-time petty move. And I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly impressed that it got down to the race where no one was budging. And then finally the FIA is just like, never mind, no race for you guys because you guys are not respecting our rules. You're out. Go on, get. Awesome. So yeah, that was the story of the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway U.S. Grand Prix. Next, we're going to talk about a little bit of Baku history and a weather update as it stands right now. But first, we have a message from our friends over at Visit Singapore. Visit Singapore with our glorious beaches, breathtaking architecture, incredible religious structures, and interesting museums. Singapore has all the ingredients for a perfect getaway. Let the culture and energy of the country fill your veins, lungs, and soul for an unforgettable experience. Book your ticket today for a vacation in 2024. Really looking forward to that. I am just sitting by the phone waiting for my travel agent to give me a call when that country finally opens up. So, uh, Which is bullshit. Let's, let's talk about, I mean, we love our friends that visit Singapore. It is garbage that, we, that we're making the decision for an October race. So we're going to have a conversation. We're always happy to have a sponsor, but uh, this might be one we need to sever relations with. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I, I mean, I don't know if like COVID is just plaguing them terribly right now, but uh, I didn't, I haven't heard anything on the old news front on that instance. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't have much to say. Pretty, pretty upsetting that this is where we are right now. But uh, moving on. So as Ian said, we're going to talk a little bit about Baku. So the Azerbaijan Grand Prix is held in the Baku City Circuit, which is the capital of. Azerbaijan the lap the track is over 51 laps with about six point just uh, just about mm, the lap is over 51 laps with about six kilometers per lap and the first F1 GP held there was the 2016 European GP won by Nico Rosberg and then in 2017 was the first year that they actually named it the Azerbaijan Grand Prix it's actually one of five city circuits with Singapore, Monaco, the Australian and Canadian GPs. And the first Azerbaijan GP winner was McLaren's very own Danny Ricardo while he was in the Red Bull. In 2018, it was won by Sir Lewis Hamilton. 2019, Valtteri Bottas. In 2020, was won by zero people because it was canceled. It's a very cool track. I would say 
between Singapore and this one is my favorite city circuits. Uh, it has a ton of overtake opportunities, and there's actually a couple of DRS zones within that as well. Obviously, that is very different to, from Monaco, what we just saw a couple weeks ago, where Monaco was very tight, uh, very technical, not very many overtaking opportunities. Uh, so it really goes like this. So the first half has a lot of DRS or overtaking op opportunities, some long straights. And then the second half goes through the old city, passing some very cool areas like a castle and a couple other very cool locations. But it is much more technical aspect with a lot of tighter corners. So we've actually seen in FP1 and 2 that there have been a lot of uh, some run-ins, some small crashes, as well as a lot of skidding uh, over a special, over especially two corners where you'd see multiple drivers skidding almost right into the walls with it being a city circuit. There's very little runoffs. I think we're expected, and in years past, we've seen a lot of potential, or a lot of crashes, and be expected with some yellow flags to come up for some, for some mayhem. Um, I think this is what's so great about the track is it has two very different aspects of it with that, you know, overtake opportunity as well as, you know, that very tight um, technical side of things as well. This is actually the fastest street circuit in the world and is actually the second longest track behind Spa. So uh, I think just overall a lot of fun aspects to the circuit and then kind of going into the weather. The weather looks like it's going to be on Saturday, 77, mostly clear and pretty windy with 21 mile an hour winds. Sunday is going to be a little warmer at 79, sunny with winds as well, uh, up around 17 mile an hour winds. Obviously with winds, uh, that makes driving a lot more difficult for the drivers with, you know, picking up tailwinds, uh, you know, hitting their cars on a different angle and, and causing some some potential issues there. So with that, you know, technical aspect, I think with this windy couple of days, we're going to see maybe uh, a lot of mayhem. And, you know, mayhem is always fun when, when it comes to F F1. So that's what, you know, the the history behind Baku, kind of what the, the course looks like as well, and then kind of what the, the weather looks like. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, moving on, we have our race predictions. And so as just catching up all the listeners up, Ian is up seven to my six uh, over the past couple of race predictions. And going into this, who do we think will crash our DNF? I'm going to go with Lance Stroll. He has been an extremely boring driver this year. I'm expecting with this kind of course for him to maybe, you know, get a little little messy this time and kind of bring back the old Lance. Yeah. For uh, crash or DNF, I got to go with Charles Leclerc. Um, he crashed in FP2, kind of left his front wing on the circuit. Um, and this is, yeah, the, the famous I am stupid quote from him crashing in Baku, which makes me think he's going to do it again. He has he has things, you know. He doesn't do well in Monaco, and he crashes in Baku. So I'm going to say that uh, Charles Leclerc, for a winner, I don't think either of us are going to use our uh, one of our four you have four remaining, I have three remaining Lewis counts, but I'm going to say uh, Bottas is going to win this race. Got a lot of pent-up energy, I assume, from not being able to finish in Monaco and getting stranded in Finland. So I'm going to go with uh, with Valtteri. What about you? I'm going to go with Sergio. He's had a pretty strong FP1 and FP2. It looks like he's been really kind of picking up the last couple of weeks of his driving ability. So I'm going to you know ride with the old Sergio. Looks very good. Looks very. He, I think he topped. Uh, he topped FP two with, sure uh, with the fastest time. So, good call. Got last place. Who are you going with? 
So I know we did a, ma- uh, a little bit of a change-up with constantly being able to use Nikita. Since he did not come in last place, we're going to ch- switch things up, and we're also going to add a Mazepin count like we did with the Lewis count. Uh, we're going to bump this up because I think we're going to like to use Nikita a lot more, so we're going to use eight Nikita counts. I'm going to use mine right now, so dropping me down to seven. Gotcha. And I'm going to go to Nicholas Latifi. No real reason other than I don't want to use my Mazepin. I like it. Uh, for driver of the day, I'm going to go with Lando. He has been on a tear uh, pretty much this entire this entire season, and I expect him to continue this progression and do pretty well at this course. Nice. My driver of the day prediction is going to be Carlos Sainz. I uh, got some momentum from getting second place at the Monaco Grand Prix, and uh, yeah, I just I just think he's really starting to understand and maneuver the car well. Baku is going to be uh, an interesting race for Carlos, so put him down for my driver of the day. Very nice. And douche of the day brought to you by Summer's Eve. Uh, why don't you go first? Give me your reason. Yeah, I'm going to go with very opposite of how Carlos is picking up his car. I'm going to go with someone that has not really been picking up his new car this year Danny Ricardo he had a miserable weekend in Monaco he doesn't seem like his confidence he has any confidence at the moment for his car or himself so until I see some major changes from that I'm going to have some some low hopes on Danny I was really trying to back him as much as I can over these past couple weeks and it's just you know the proof is in the pudding where he is he is seriously struggling another guy that's struggling with his car is my uh, douche of the day prediction who's Fernando Alonso um, guy just can't really seem to get it together. I think he, uh, by nature, is a little bit of a hothead, so I'm sure he's not cool with you know, Esteban Ocon, the young gun, um, really outshining him in the team so far. When you get desperate, you do stupid stuff. So, yeah, my prediction is going to be Alonzo, either pushing somebody off the track or, or causing somebody to DNF, something like that. And fastest pit stop minus Red Bull. Red Bull's been a little bit of a... Uh, of and fastest pit stop minus Red Bull. Red Bull's a little bit uh, been a little bit disappointing. So um, you know we were thinking about not even uh, having that minus you know minus Red Bull or being able to include Red Bull. But regardless, I am going to go with uh, Aston Martin. I think they won me this not too many uh, or, or a race or two ago. So uh, yeah, Aston Martin's my pick. This one's basically just a guess. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mercedes. I think after this whole fiasco with Valtteri and him calling out the team that Toto is going to be on their ass. And so I think that they have Good little call. room for error, and they're just going to work their ass tails off, and we're going to see it. Love it. That's a good one. Up last is the most fun, the wildcard prediction. Ian, what are you thinking? I was given a Mercedes-less podium in Monaco, which is what I predicted. got me the point. I don't see it happening, but you got to ride the hot hand when it's hot. So I am going to stick with my Mercedes-less podium for my wildcard prediction. I don't hate that. They have not had a good start to this weekend. Uh, they had not been finishing well in FP1 and FP2. So honestly, as crazy as I thought it was last week, not I'm starting to kind of buy in on, on the, the... I'm starting to buy in on this take. Mine is going to be Joe Fanati will be a top nine finish. Um, I don't know what his best finish of the year is. I don't think it's been in the top 10. If it is, it has, it has been 10. Um, I, I just, I don't know why I think they're using the flexi wings. And for some reason, I just assume that that's just gonna, he's just going to dominate the the back half of the grid. Love it. That would be uh, very convenient for my fantasy team. And yeah, I think he finished, uh, I think he finished 10th in, in, uh, in the last race in Monaco. So 
yeah, maybe he could ride some momentum. I like that. It's a good pick. Good, good, uh, good time for the Italian Jesus. Exactly. All right, moving on to probably uh, the most exciting thing that the Eaton Asphalt podcast uh, has come across. Um, we won't say how it happened, but we did connect with uh, the agent of former F1 driver champion Kimi Raikkonen. Um, and although Kimi doesn't love the media and doesn't love to talk too much to journalists like us, um, you know, we did get uh, a chance to secure that. So we're going to see um, if we can connect to Kimi. Yeah, I know we had been really hyping this conversation and this interview up. It took us a while to connect. I know I think a lot of people were confused when we said we, we landed a big interview and then we had our, our buddy Rob on. No offense to Rob, not even fucking in the stratosphere of getting Kimmy, so uh, no <laughs> offense. But yeah, this was huge for us and didn't want to leave our listeners astray. Yeah, perfect. All right. All right, it looks like that we have Kimmy Raikkonen on the phone. Kimmy, thank you so much for joining us. Huge fans of yourself and really giving us at the Eaton Asphalt some time to ask you some great questions. Yeah, okay. All right, Kimmy. Just like in Kimmy form, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Don't want to take too much of your time, but I think starting off, how has the F1 season, the F1 2021 season been so far for you? <sighs> Deep do, do better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you guys are trending upwards. I think I have a lot of faith in, in, in the team as well. And I think, you know, talking about the team, how do you like driving with your friend Antonio Giovinati? Uh, well, obviously we're teammates, so he uh, he is the person I have to drive with for the team. So he's good. He got a, he got a point. But, uh, yeah, he's who I drive with. Yes, yes, he is who you drive with. Uh, moving right along, uh, what has been your favorite experience in Formula One? I won the championship. <laughs> yes, you did, and I'm, I'm I'm sure that is probably your favorite experience. That would be my favorite experience as well. Yeah, no, that's a great call. Probably a dumb question myself, so I apologize. Um, moving right along, though, how's your family played into you having such a successful Formula One career? I mean, obviously, I have a wife, so uh, she helps with the what I do when I drive when I when I go home. So I have a wife, and I have two kids, and I like to drive uh, because it gets me out of the house. <laughs> gets you out of the house, yeah. Beautiful family, so I'm really happy to see that. Uh, you know, on the other side of things, what is the most difficult part of being an F1 driver? I mean, obviously, uh, you have to be away from the family, and it's a high-stress uh, environment. But uh, it's, it's still, you know, it's it's a lot of difficult parts. But it's all, it's you know, it's still a good time. Yeah, no, it's very interesting how you said you like getting away from the house, but also it's a, being away from the family is also a bummer. So, like the consistency there, Kimmy. Well, I'm not. Any... I, I, I'm not. I'm not inter- You know, I'm doing something else. I'm distracted while I'm talking to you. So. All right. Sorry about that. That's my fault. Any hobbies outside of F1? Yeah, I, like I, I said it a couple times already. I have a wife, so we, we like to hang out with the wife. Yeah, makes makes sense. You got those two <laughs> kids. My apologize. Uh, just a couple more questions. I know uh, you clearly are really enjoying this, as am I. But um, you know, just moving on a couple more. What? Who are your role models? Ah, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, 
I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I don't know mine either, actually. So, um, one more question. Do you think this will be the last year we see Kimi Raikkonen in a Formula One car? If not, how much more do you think you have left in the tank? Well, I uh, have a contract until uh, the end of the season for 2021, and then I'm going to see if I want to do it again. Okay, and so any hints on whether you want to do it again or no? It depends on the day. So, obviously, if I wake up and I want to drive, then I'm going to sign the contract. But if I wake up and have to sign the contract and I don't want to drive, then I'm not going to sign the contract. Awesome, awesome. And just a last, last question. I know you're just obviously a very serious demeanor, very serious guy. Um, What do you sound like in the bedroom? It's kind of like, ah, yes, baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, Kimmy, you dog. I appreciate that. You think giving us a little bit more insight into into your life, your personal life. So uh, thanks for that insight. That's, uh, by the no, way, by the way, that's a fucking ridiculous question to ask a driver of what he sound like in the bedroom. Yeah, there's only one person I wanted to find that out from, and it is from you. Uh, and I I do appreciate you giving me that insight. Uh, I am a ridiculous. What if person. I asked you if what if I asked you what you sound like in the bedroom? What would you say? I would say I'm a virgin, so let's move on from that. Uh, um, I knew I was talking to a pussy. <laughs> All right, there. And that is Kimmy Rockin' ladies and gentlemen. Once again, thank you so much for giving me this time. Really sorry that my co-host Ian couldn't be there to, to talk with you as well. But hopefully, you know, we can... We're coming down to Austin uh, in, in later in the year, and hopefully we could get together, you know, maybe hang out, drink some beers. I don't think that's going to happen. Fair enough. All right, everyone. Kimmy Raikkonen. <laughs> All right. I uh, appreciate Kimmy for giving us the time there. I know he doesn't really like to do that, so it means a lot that he gave us, uh, you know, gave us the time, gave us the energy, even though there was not much time or much energy put forth in that interview. But that'll do it for us uh, for episode 11 of the Eaton Asphalt podcast. We appreciate everybody for listening. Stay tuned. We got some other cool stuff on the way. Um, We might get a couple more driver interviews, um, you know, team principal interviews. A lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe. But appreciate everybody listening, and we will see you after Baku. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy the race. See you, assholes. See you, assholes.